Hi, I'm Rakesh Malhotra. I'm founder at LiveBear. A lot of the episodes of the Founder Thesis podcast will teach you how to find product market fit and how to navigate the 0 to 1 and 1 to 10 journey. But once in a while, we get to speak to builders of legacies, the kind of founders who build companies that will last for a hundred years. One such legacy builder is Rakesh Malhotra. He started Luminous, which is India's most trusted inverter brand more than three decades ago. A couple of years ago, the German giant Schneider bought out his stake in Luminous, and today, Rakesh is building sizable businesses in almost a dozen categories, ranging from water purification to mattresses to ACs to EV drive trains to solar. Stay tuned for Akshay's freewheeling chat with Rakesh as he shares his insights around market penetration and building businesses that last for a hundred years. Tell me about your, uh, you know, how did that decision happen to not follow the typical career path, become an entrepreneur? Just just take me through a little bit of your early life and what led up to you becoming an entrepreneur. Sure. No, so, I mean, I, I come from a family. My father was an IAS officer. So we are, uh, you know, the typical well-educated middle-class family that we came from. And the first port of call after my engineering undergrad was to take a job. And I did. And in about a year and five, six months, I had already changed four jobs. The longest stint was for nine and a half months. So I was already figuring out that I'm restless and that I have to do something beyond being and, in a... And, and what, what kind of jobs were these? I worked from, uh, for a Japanese company called Mitsui to start with, then Tata's uh, at Nelco. And the last one was Siemens. Uh, yeah, Siemens, uh, which is this uh, industrial electronics and electricals company. And uh, the basic problem was that I was just not willing to get, uh, you know, bogged down with... Uh, Pre, pre-set goals and timelines uh, and and outcomes that we had to work within certain constraints. So I felt that there could be more that can be done. And my own family uh, was a little bit, my mother came from a, you know, from a business family in that sense that uh, her parents and brothers, uh, her father and brothers were in manufacturing business in Ludhiana. And uh, my father was a career bureaucrat, and uh, and so so initially in the family there was a divided view on on what what should be done or not done. But I decided to take the plunge anyway, and it didn't uh, it didn't work out all that well in the first stint. Which year uh, was this? This is uh, you know uh, close to this is nineteen eighty five. So somewhere around middle of 1985 is when I started. Mm. And, I, I uh, would have been like a class fifth student at that time. <laughs> well, don't remind me of my age. <laughs> 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 All right. So, yeah, so it was 1985. Uh, and, uh, and the first venture that I started, we had to close it down in 1987. 
What yeah. was it about? This was, uh, so we started, you know, this was the age of early introduction of DOS PCs. Right. And uh, we decided to build power backup systems or UPSs for that. So this was well ahead of its time. There was nothing like that in India at that point in time. Uh, we managed to put a product together in uh, with very limited resources and uh, it took off well. Uh, and then after it started, we had trouble with the product quality and reliability because it was ahead of time, it got a lot of traction. But the maturity of the product was not that great. So we had plenty of trouble managing services and this and that. And finally, we ran out of all resources to support it and had to take a call of shutting it down. So that was and the first one. Who is we here? Oh, so I had a partner, Anil, uh, who I had brought in after about a year and a half of starting uh, that company. A year after starting that company. Uh, who joined me and, uh, you know, he was there for that run. But then that uh, bruise was too much for him to handle. So he decided to go on his own way when we shut it down. And the next round was with a different uh, co-founder, actually. So what was round two? So round two was what eventually became Luminous. Uh, so... That was in 1988 is when we started that business. And from 1988 till 91, I was uh, I was alone in that business as a founder. I put it together. And then Navneet, who has since then been my co-founder and partner in crime in everything that we have done, uh, joined in 1991. And so, in 1988, what did you build? Uh, what was, so we, and we, you must we have went, gone through yeah. a process of deciding what you yeah, want to do. So, so see, the first venture uh, gave us a platform of power electronics for power backup. Though the venture didn't work, uh, there was some residual or a lot of residual value and learning out of what we had done in the first venture. And uh, by that time, the one insight that hit me was that, look, uh, you know, PCs, of course, will grow. But power deficit and availability of electricity is hampering not just personal computers, but life in general in homes. So, And that set of market or addressable market is much larger than the PC market. So the big big thought there was that you bet go after the homes. And that's how Luminous was born. We made a power backup system for homes. And we made it it wasn't a new idea. There were plenty of people who were making gensets and inverters even before that. What we did right was created it into a consumer durables format. So we made a reliable product. We got it to look good. Uh, we brought it outside of the Barsati into the living room uh, as a product. And that gave it profile. And that's how that industry got created. Actually. So... Uh you were the the first product which could be kept inside the house, which which looked more consumer yeah, durable. -ish. That's that's right. So it looked more like a consumer durable. It had reliability like a television would have, and it was getting service the way uh, way you would expect a durables company to provide a backup if you if you ever have a problem. So those three pieces uh, kind of got the process started, but. Uh, it it must have been a fairly difficult journey to reach there, right? Because, uh, like, the, let's take the example of service. Uh, you yeah. know, 
to provide service at scale, you need a certain amount of cash flows to employ engineers and provide the guarantee and so on and so forth. Like, tell me about how how those early years must have been like where you may not have had so many resources available to do things in a scalable manner. It it might have been done more like, you know, more hands on. Maybe you would have gone to do servicing calls and all. I'd love to hear that journey. Sure. No, so so look, uh, you know, one uh, in the product reliability, uh, you know, when you get when you learn by making a big mistake and paying the consequences, you you learn really well, uh, and and that's what happened in that situation. The first business we had to fold it up. We were in debt. I was in debt, I should say, uh, because I was the one putting together the debt, <laughs> friends and family debt, basically, uh, because there was there was no real backup of capital or debt at that time for a company like this. Uh, and so we started there and, and, and we realized give, uh, how, how important it is to make sure that that damn thing will not go wrong. So between 88 and 1991, it took us three years uh, to get the product right. And we did not go to market before we got the product right. So, so we continued to invest time and effort and whatever resources we had done. So I, I had to do day job uh, of actually selling products for somebody uh, who was making larger UPS systems. And day job meaning it was a side hustle. Uh, I was, I was uh, selling that stuff for a company in Pune, which eventually got acquired by Emerson. And, uh, and I was making money as, as commissions for those sales and supporting that activity. So that uh, made decent amount of money. I was, I probably, we, I put together an earning of around four or five crores in those three years and which was a lot of wow. money for those times. And that kind four of five crores just from selling that uh, inverter. Amazing. You must have yeah. been a phenomenal salesperson. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, so we did good, good work. No, it's not inverters. These were large UPSs uh, okay. for for data centers and, you know, corporate style stories. So an average of a 20, 30 lakhs order. Uh, and then, then you put together a lot of them. So I had to do, that was my day job. I used to do that during the day. And in the night, we ran the business of developing products. Uh, that's how it worked. Amazing. Amazing. And what did you learn about sales in that stint of selling the uh, the, the large format. Uh, so so the, the one job that a CEO or a co-founder can never or a founder can never give up is selling, right? Uh, you sell different things at different times. You sell dreams first and then you sell products and then you sell shares and then you sell something else, but you sell nonetheless, <laughs> right? Something you have to sell. And uh, I think uh, that you put the bread on the table is a learning that you get and in those days, you know, capital was so hard to get by uh, that that you and and especially for people from our background, which was middle class background with no real savings. My father's provident fund was gone in the first venture, so the okay. second one I couldn't do with his provident fund. It had to be done with earnings. So you learn how to do different things to survive. I mean, that's I guess that is true for any startup. Even now, that's the same same story actually. But uh, it's incredible that you didn't give up, uh, even after being in debt, losing family money. And, you know, you must have had to hear, you know, that uh, people commenting and, you know, the yeah, stuff yeah. like that. 
Absolutely. No, so that so the cho- choice was between hearing it for a few years till you succeed or hearing it for your rest of your life. So I th- I took the latter. <laughs> I took the former. I said, okay, I'll take those soon. Let me prove myself again. And, uh, and, and you know, once you're done, at least this will be over. Otherwise, you would have had to take it for the rest of your life, right? So, right, right. So, uh, 91, you were ready with your product. Uh, then what? 91, what? we were ready with our product. So, we went uh, back to the market. We started to sell only in Delhi first. And uh, what was the sales strategy? Like door to door? No, not really door-to-door. We built it in through a dealer network to start with, a small one, very, very small. We used to have eight dealers in Delhi in all, covering the whole of Delhi. And now when I look back and see Luminous today has, I think, about 60,000 dealers across the country. So that's quite some long journey that has been traveled. Yes, uh, yes. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, so few dealers uh, we invested on the brand. We used to do partnerships with Times of India and Hindustan Times. On you know that those were days of print media uh, when it was still relevant uh, fully. Uh, so we took uh, all kinds of uh, you know uh, frugal brand development approaches that we could take. Uh, you know different on, on both BTL as well as through ATL advertising got the product familiarized, we got some call center ready so we could explain people, we used to do road shows. That time PVR was quite a happening spot in Vasant Vihar, so we would do stuff around PVRs and this and that, so all kinds of stuff. And, and you could, you know, I mean, uh, you it was a small setup, so I mean, I've done it myself multiple uh, number of times for a few years. Till the organization got built and, you know, we got to a point where it was really good. But I think we invested very early on on uh, consumer service. So it's a, it's a nice anecdote maybe for your story here. Uh, in 1996, paging services, uh, or 95, I think, paging services were started by RPG Paging in, in, in Delhi. And uh, it wasn't the time of mobiles. It was time of two-way Motorola pagers. Uh, you know, people would send messages and you could respond to that message on the pager. So we built a, a software and a service management system that we deployed in, in those days, which was the first 24-hour call center for any consumer durable brand and when I say any means any. So at that time, no Samsung, no Sony had a 24-hour call center. And this little tiny company called Luminous, which just started uh, in Delhi only, had that facility. So we had amazing uh, testimonials coming out of customers when, when people, uh, sometimes they would get a service in 15 minutes after they call. Not always, but sometimes. Uh, so this is like, because we knew where our technician was at that point in time, we were connected to that guy and we had a call allocation system where we knew when he would have finished his call. So if a customer called and he were like, you know, one, one kilometer away and he had just finished his call, he could actually show up at the customer's door in 15 minutes. And that was, you know, that was unheard of. Uh, at that time, I think it's unheard of even now that you get a call service call like that done, right? So, so, so 
so that gave us a huge uh, you know sort of uh, swell uh, from the ground in terms of what the brand stood for and that stayed with the brand in fact luminous continued to build on that base foundation of the brand into becoming a trustworthy uh, solidly dependable brand that it became eventually and then we in 2010 we brought sachin tendulkar as a brand ambassador and changed our line to jispe desh kare bharosa and took away from sachin's credibility and added the added the brand uh, credibility together and then it became completely you know intertwined even now sachin endorses uh, luminous uh, even after all these years you know 13 years wow. later Amazing, amazing. So, uh, in 1995, you were still in Delhi. What kind of revenue were you doing? 95, 96. I think we were about two and a half crores in revenue at that time. I would imagine. I, I mean, I might be wrong by a few. Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, but, I understand. Uh, but yes, it was it was a small company, and the big turning point for us came in 2004-5. We used to buy batteries for our inverters from Exide, and Exide started giving us trouble. in terms of product quality deliveries all kinds of things and then we realized that we are dependent on their performance for our brand equity that was not an equation that was looking good so so we had to take a call uh, by this time we are like about a 70 80 crore business making about i think about 4 5 crores in ebitda and, and- Pan India or like no, but mostly north, mostly okay. north at that time. But we were now in about thirty, forty cities, and uh, you know we had some presence of around four, five hundred dealers. Uh, that's where we were. It's still tiny compared to what it what it turned out to be eventually. But uh, but it was it was now a well established uh, brand in some pockets of the country. and uh, we were getting into trouble with batteries and we had to take a call that we have to invest in learning and then manufacturing our own batteries which was a massive leap for a company that size we had to invest about a 70 odd crores of capital into building a factory first factory and that is something we had no money for uh, and uh, after having built it very you know judiciously one brick at a time uh and not taking undue risk on anything product brand service people uh, for many many years from 1988 till 2004 that's already you know some 16 years of build out uh then we had to take a make or break call where we had to put all in into risk again one more time and uh, we actually went and borrowed money from a public sector bank corporation bank uh, you know uh, and and we got that money by leveraging our mortgaging the luminous brand uh, not many people know this but we actually mortgaged the brand to raise capital for putting up a factory uh, so which means that we had put in everything that we had put earned by that time to make that one decision of making batteries that we had never done before uh, so yeah i mean in life of entrepreneurs i think those turning points come when you have to go with your gut and you have to believe in what you are trying to do and you have to take risks that look absolutely absurd to take uh, you know those things happen and uh, you know but then if you do it right 
and if it turns out right sometimes you know both of those things have to come together providence also has a role to play uh then you then you get it right then it be, it just changes the game for you and we did that that one decision uh with after some struggle after starting that plant it got us uh got us going and then uh the plant came up in 2006 when we were roughly about 100 crores in revenue uh, we then uh raised some uh, private equity money for the first time in our life uh this is after we had spent 18 years in existence uh as a self funded venture and then that money propelled further growth and uh from 2006 to 2011 the business grew from 100 crores to 1250 crores and uh and then you know we ended up selling a majority stake to schneider electric uh, in 2011 and then all of it got sold in 2017 uh, when we exited it completely so that's the history of that venture sorry okay uh, i i want to kind of zoom in a little bit more uh, on this journey um what was your supply chain uh, like i mean you were was it like contract manufacturing or uh, no 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 so we had inverters we, no we were making it internally so we had a manufacturing so we were doing a full full monty right from design of the product to manufacturing sales service distribution branding everything so it was a typically full blown consumer durables operation uh the reason and we at various times we have toyed with the idea of contract manufacturing during the journey and it does make sense in 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 bits and pieces but if you are looking at a cycle of innovation and and development which is fast and if you if you give uh, high emphasis on certain uniqueness in what you make uh, then those capabilities that you have to build are best kept inside than outside so even though it might not be a cost based decision it can be a decision based on the other things Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Uh, what did you learn uh, in you know in those like when you were at that seventy crore turnover in two thousand five when you were on the verge of taking that bet uh, to build batteries? Uh, yeah. By that time, you would have got some lessons as an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, building up a full stack consumer durables company. Uh, what were some of those learnings which you'd had, and uh, you know, how did they give you the conviction to build the batteries uh, to invest in the battery plant sure no so so here's the thing right uh, so my personally i mean so every entrepreneur learns different things right and 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 that's about that's kind of a reflection of who they are in some sense in terms of people human beings and uh, for me uh, uh, given my value system or given my upbringing uh, it was always about trust relationships and rewards so i mean i i i so responsibility relationships and rewards is my philosophy so you have to be responsible entirely to whatever you are committing to and there is no ambiguity in that responsibility uh, then there is uh, you know relationships the the biggest capital on uh, in any business especially if you are running a, a brick and mortar business 
you know, the biggest value that you have or biggest capital that you have, which is not possible to buy with money in a short period of time is relationships. It could be with your suppliers, with your own, own people. It could be with your channels, whatever. So that and the third piece is rewards. So if you are having relationships, it can't be rewarding only to one side. It has to reward both sides. So, so if you get those three right, that's the portion we have. So by the time we were at 70 crores, we were small as a company, but we were very deep uh, in terms of our relationships internally and externally. And we had enormous amount of confidence in 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 whatever we had built in terms of people as well as in terms of uh, networks. So, so that said, we felt that the, now the risk is controlled to being able to execute on making the product. Once we get it right, everything else will fall in place. And it turned out to be right. And I think that was our reason to, to take that bet. That's where the confidence came from. Okay, got it, got it. Uh, what did you, uh, your primary sales channel was uh, through dealer network? Like that was the yes, way you... Yes, it was purely through dealer network, yes. And uh, what did you learn over there, like in terms of how to drive sales? Like you told me from 70, you went to 100 crores, which is like a close to 50% jump in a year. Yeah, uh, and then from 100 to 1250 crores in five years. Yeah, which again you must have been like almost doubling or close to that every yeah, year. Was, so we had a we had a very interesting history of that company. It has been it had been growing for 23, 24 years. Every eight year period was a forty percent CAGR. From mm -hmm. zero to whatever level, and then next eight year and the next eight years always was forty percent CAGR. Amazing. Uh, and and the interesting stuff is that's the reason why that business was owned 90% by us when we exited. So the even though we had a private equity investor who put in the bulk of the capital, we had 90% ownership of the company when we exited. So mm -hmm. because it was generating enough cash uh, to grow on its own steam uh, and it was growing consistently, there was no, no big, uh, you know, I mean, 40% is a great growth rate, but there was no real doubling every year type of growth. I mean, it was very contained and sustained growth. You know. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. what, what, what worked in sales? Was it like... Uh, no, so what had worked a good... in sales is great product, great service, that you can't go wrong with. Those That's hygiene. Uh, we invested on the brand, also was decently required. I think what tipped the things in our favor was the energy that our people and our channels put behind our brand. Uh, because they were, you know, they were an order of level higher in commitment uh, to this brand than you would find in the competing brand. So that is a differentiator in my view. Which comes from relationships. That comes from relationships and respecting their responsibility and rewards. Rewards. With right. the relationship. Yeah. Right, right, right. Amazing, amazing. Okay. Uh, this is a good mantra. Uh, responsibility, relationship, reward. Amazing. Okay. Uh, the uh, PE money that you got on, how did you, uh, like, how did it happen? Did you appoint an investment banker? Yeah. yeah. Because... So, so in 2006, we appointed Kotak uh, as our banker and uh, they did whatever they did. And then we had about, I think, five term sheets in, in a span of uh, six, seven months that that process took. 
and we went with CLSA Capital Partners as our investor. They were a good name to have and they were willing to give us uh, uh, a structure where we had to dilute less if we did better. And we had very high confidence in our own uh, ability to deliver on a higher level, uh, which was not visible based on historical performance. So, so we took that over a safer uh, bet where we would have had to dilute a little more, but, uh, but would have had no pressure of uh, delivery. Uh, so, so that's how we took CLSA in. That was in 2007. And in 2011, four years later, they exited about with 3x of their investment uh, in a span of span of just four years. They were well, happy. Well, okay, okay. Uh, how did uh, uh, why was batteries a game changer? Like, uh, how sorry, did it help? Uh, how was that a game changer? No, it, yeah, it the, allowed the, it, it. It bankrolled uh, the 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 infrastructure that had already gotten created. Uh, it got bankrolled with performance of delivery because now you had capital, now you were able to do things that otherwise you were constrained uh, in terms of your ability to execute. Okay. Uh, but, you know, if uh, in hindsight, if I had taken that money uh, maybe 10 years earlier, we could have done that maybe a little bit faster. Uh, maybe four or five years could have been shaved off out of the 23 years in the outcome. Uh, but uh, but in this situation, we've diluted much lesser. And from a founder's standpoint or from our employees who held the ESOPs, their standpoint, uh, I think we, we had a better outcome by delaying that, uh, that fundraise. Although, you know, I mean, this is hindsight. So you never know. If it didn't all work perfectly, it might not have been so, so good true. a story to tell, right? So, true, 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 true. Uh, why was uh, batteries a game changer? You you started manufacturing batteries. Yeah, because because that gave us control over our end to end product, and therefore we were in a position to differentiate our offerings a lot better. We were able to deliver clearly better performance compared to our competitors, uh, who were at that stage, by the way, in two thousand six, bigger than us. So there were two two competitors at that time, Microtech oh. and Sukam. Okay. Uh, there was a brand called Sukam and there was yes. a brand called Microtech. Both of them uh, were significantly larger than this, more than two and a half times bigger than what Luminous was at that time. Uh, and uh, we were uh, coming from behind, although we knew that our foundations were infinitely stronger than theirs, uh, but but we were smaller. So So that stage when we raised the capital you know, we could leverage our foundations to grow at a very, very rapid pace. And and uh, we had no looking back because it just worked like clockwork. Everything was in place already. So the moment we started pushing the gas on the pedal on the gas, it just took off after that. Yeah. How did batteries help create a differentiated product? Like Because you're, you're in a power backup. Yeah, no, you're in a power backup system, right? So uh, the battery is the heart of that power backup system, we were buying them from Excite. So we had only so much ability to have Excite develop a product that we would want from them. Uh, whereas when we started doing it ourselves, we knew exactly what we want. And we built products that gave a better performance in terms of life, backup, charge acceptance, everything to our customers. And therefore, the brand 
got differentiated and people realized that this product works better. And that gets you started, right? I mean, at the end of the day, consumer is in a durables business. He's buying something that solves for a problem. And, and, and if you are doing that much better and distinctly better than someone else, then that gives you an edge. So uh, when uh, 2011, when Snyder came in with a majority stake, uh, what was your thinking behind it? Like, why did you want to uh, give control no, so, away? So, so we were going through an IPO process again with Kotak as our banker. Okay. Uh, we, we had started to look at uh, preparing for an IPO. Uh, and then uh, it just so happened that uh, we had a large buyout fund. I can't name them right now, but they came in and put a term sheet uh, and then eventually did a diligence and were ready to sign agreements to buy 90% of the company. Uh, I had gone through personally a little bit of a health scare at that time uh, in, 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 in 2010 it was over, but that made me realize that I had all my eggs in one basket and that basket could be a risk that is disproportionate risk concentration. So I, I, I kind of, that kind of opened me up a little bit to an idea of selling the business. Otherwise, the plan was to list it. And uh, then that uh, private equity fund was somewhere in the middle of closing the uh, you know, final agreements with us when Schneider got in touch with us and made some quick offer. And, you know, since we were anyway going to sell control, uh, we chose to go with Schneider because we felt that would be a better place for the business to be housed in uh, rather than a private equity fund. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it would be like synergistic acquisition for them. They would want to invest and grow it in the long term. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Whereas for also, a PE, we ran it as a joint venture. We were together in that company. We owned twenty six percent of the company till two thousand seventeen. Uh, so we stayed invested in the business for another six years after selling majority. So it got run as a joint venture uh, for for a good six years. Got grew to a much bigger size from where we had started. And then we finally decided to exit because once you have sold majority, someday you have to exit. So that, that I think right, right, was, right. was what happened in 2017. Did you feel uh, constrained in terms of the entrepreneurial spirit once you're part of a bigger organization? The decision no, so I was not, no, so I was not running it. I was okay. the chairman of the company, but non-executive. Okay. I was very much involved in uh, the direction, but not... Uh, not running it, right, so therefore no constraints on my own. I would that I would not have done. I wouldn't have been a CEO in a majority uh, minority-owned business. That I wouldn't do. Uh, I don't. I couldn't do it even when I was 21 years old in 1983. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have done it in 2012. Right. No way. Right. Okay. Okay. And what was the turnover by 2017 when you sold the remaining? I think uh, like I don't remember exactly, but it was above 3,000 crores. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And it, it would have overtaken Microtech and Sukam. I think oh, Sukam that is... had That had okay. happened in 2011 itself. Okay. So okay. by that time, it was already bigger than those two guys. Uh, mm. We were almost twice the size of those two guys at that time. And then I think Sukam eventually fizzled out. It went into, uh, you know, uh, 
bankruptcy protection, that whole uh, process and all of that. Microtech is still alive and well. They are doing what they are doing. Hmm. The, uh, how is the market doing? Uh, because inverters as a category existed because of poor infrastructure, right? Like the India's power well, delivery I mean, infrastructure uh, was poor. Well, it's still doing quite well. In fact, we have another business called LiveGuard which we started in 2015, which is also now that we are free from all, all our obligations. Uh, since 2018 or 19, 2019 onwards, that business also does uh, solar and inverter business besides their other activities. So that company is in that business now. Uh, and all of these companies are actually growing. Uh, so, LiveGuard um, grew from inception in 2015 to being about half a billion dollar business uh, in eight years' time. Uh, wow. Because that whole energy storage, energy transition business is a very large opportunity mm-hmm. over the next 20, 30 years, I, I would think. Yeah, and, so, yes, but, sorry, the infrastructure is improving, but, uh, but uh, the nature of uh, the usage of energy generation and storage is changing, but the market is actually growing, not going down. Uh, I'm guessing the consumer durable inverter sales must be coming more from tier two now, right? Because tier, tier two, one... three, four, five, and rural. Right. Yeah. Because I, tier I, one, I would the take it all the way, to, all the way to the rural markets. Right. 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 Okay. I, I, with increasing affluence, they would want uninterrupted Absolute. power. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Got it, got it. Okay. Uh, what was uh, Luminous worth when you sold the remaining 26% in 2017? I don't remember exactly, but somewhere in the three and a half thousand crores range. Wow, amazing. Okay. So uh, tell me about LivePure. Uh, what what did it start? When you started LivePure, you were still owning that stake in Luminous. So what did yes. you start it as? What was the idea behind starting it? So, so the LivePure history is like this, that as part of our um, luminous business, we had just, uh, you know, see, uh, you know, just started a small activity in one state in Punjab uh, around water purifiers, because it was our thesis that just like energy deficit is a problem, uh, there is a problem of water quality and drinking water quality, which is quite secular in nature. It's hard to fully fully settle. Even when uh, you have piped water available in every house in the country, which may be some time away, but will happen. Uh, it, is the, it is during the delivery process from source to delivery point, there is still a lot of contamination. And therefore, uh, there will be a water purification market at point of use, which is quite secular in nature. We had, um, Uh, you know... Sorry, one question. What do you mean when you say it is secular in nature? What does that term mean? People will not stop drinking water, that's for sure. Uh, And infrastructure cannot be refreshed every day for keeping the delivered water clean, even though you may start from clean water. Hmm. Okay. Right. So, which means that this is a market forever, more or less. Okay. Uh, it may change in terms of what is the technology being used at the other end, but the need for something like this is never going to end. Got it. Okay. okay. So, it's a very large, uh, you know, really, really long-term opportunity. There are very few consumer durable businesses that can say that we will be around even 100 years from now. 
Right. Yeah. yeah right. Absolutely. So, so that's the kind of business it is. Therefore, and that is why it is such an attractive business uh, uh, for every company that has an ability to innovate, has a brand, has a distribution, has wanted to do this. Right. Uh, Bo- yeah, right from Hindustan Unilever, which is an everybody. So, I mean, I can name, I can name, yeah. a, a name forty names that have tried yes, of absolutely. large companies and absolutely. all global players. Everybody from, you know, LG to Philips to Aerosmith to Usha, uh, Whirlpool to Usha to Crompton to I mean, you can name it. Everybody has done Havels yes. to yes. whoever. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, literally everybody. Blue Star. There is not a single yeah. large consumer durable name who has not tried doing water purifier. Right. 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 Yes. Right. So Onida even. Yeah. <laughs> so, like literally everyone. Mm. Right. So so why is it like that? It's not a large market. It's comparatively speaking a very small market from a durables category standpoint. I mean, an air conditioning market is uh, about twenty times bigger than water purifier market in value terms. Why is that? Uh, the price of the product is lower. Right. And and the number. So right. In Only a, in one per household. One a- per AC household like and then, you know. Household. Yeah. Okay. And, and so on and so forth. So, so the point is that we had just started it in uh, Luminous and as part of our transaction with Schneider, we had carved out this business because they didn't want to continue with it and we carved it out and we said, okay, we it. Uh, so we moved it out and in fact, it, originally it started as even after Carward, it was first few months, it was sold as luminous water purifier and and uh, in fact, there was even a television commercial we ran as luminous water purifiers after, after carving it out because we had rights to use it till 2016, the brand. Uh, but then very early on in 2012 itself, we decided or 13, I think, when we started to launch the product, we decided that we have to give this a new life. And water purifier is only a starting point. And our purpose for building a a business like this is to bring wellness, health, and comfort into consumers' life. That's the purpose. And make it affordable, make it wide, uh, and, 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 and improve the quality of life for consumers. This is our purpose. So it is not limited to just water purifiers. That's a starting point for the platform. It will eventually grow and move into other areas. So we have to coin ourselves a a brand that reflects what we want to do. And that's how Live Pure brand was born. Uh, because it somehow has a has a has a ring to it which is broader than just water. It is it is about life, it is about living well and living pure and whatever else that is there around it. So that's how the brand was born. And uh, we we started to work with water purifiers. We took, we put up a manufacturing unit. We innovated the product a little bit. Took about a year, year and a half. When and did then, you put up the manufacturing unit? Uh, this was done in Manesar. Okay. And which year? Uh, this is 2014, 13, okay. 14. Okay. So after the pilot, you... Much yeah, after the pilot, when pilot. we took over, we started to put up a factory. So, Manesar, we put up a plant. It is probably even now the most integrated water purifier manufacturing plant. So, we do everything from making pumps to making membrane rolls to filters. 
even injection molding of edible grade plastics uh so everything so that we make sure that what we make is a really really good quality product and that it can still be done at an affordable cost so that's the secret sauce of live pure and it it does and we have benefited out of that uh, you know that whole investment that we made in the in the ability to create a good product and it was actually front loaded the investment this time around we were a little liberal on capital dosage because we had the capital to invest uh, so so we took you know strong measures to build uh, a base a foundation for the brand so three four things we did with the brand one is build very deep integration in terms of quality and uh, cost on the product development side then second thing we did was build a service network which is very well automated uh, which was our own so livepure is actually the only water purifier uh, brand that installs every single water purifier that we sell ourselves even though the product is sold by a distributor to a dealer or maybe an online online platform or whatever it might be but the installation is done by the company or its franchisee so we have 100% data of every one of our customers and we know exactly who he is how is he going doing we are connected with him and so on so we built a deep sort of capability around service uh, this is something we had learned from our early experiences at uh, at luminous as well so we managed to put a very strong service network very strong product good innovation around the product and its quality and then we invested in the brand deeply in fact sachin uh, this time around uh, decided to become a shareholder with us so he was actually a shareholder in lipper and we did a 5 6 year uh, contract for a small part of the lipper equity which uh, he held till i think 7 years finally exited a couple of years back he still is our brand ambassador but uh, now 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 nobody is sold out his equity now but uh, we had some shares in the company so we 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 invested deep uh, got the product right got the service right initially the company started as a brick and mortar go to market you know model like what we were used to doing so we built channels uh, distribution everywhere the the distributors we started with most of them still work with us even now after all these years uh, again the same principles nothing new uh, but what changed uh, what what we did differently in this time around in in livepure is that somewhere around 2017 i think we decided that we have to create an omnichannel play so first 5 years of the life of the business was brick and mortar it like a typical durables company the next 5 years or first 6 years and the next 6 year second 6 year period was converting a brick and mortar business into an omnichannel digital first business this is what has happened over the next 6 years so between okay. 18 and 20 or 17 and 23 that last 6 years of existence uh, is completely transforming the business from being a being 100% revenue coming from uh you know physical channels 
Today, we are at about 35% revenue coming from physical channels, 65% of our revenue. So it's 35% from physical channels, 35% from digital channels, and 30% from recurring revenue as for product as service. So we have now, our, it's actually very little, uh, I mean, we have, we're pretty publicity shy, it looks like, because very few people talk about this brand, but it has, it's a brand which is this year going to be a 600 crore revenue brand, profitable, uh, omni-channel brand, digital first, with, with product as service business model proven to a significantly large scale. So, so we have over quarter million customers who, by the end of this year, we'll have a quarter million customers who are paying for the product as a service. And, uh, and that is, you know, orders larger than anyone else in, in, in product as service business in any category, not just in water purifier. So it's a very interesting, uh, interesting build out. We started in 2018 refined the model, built the tech stack. It is fully, full full stack play. Everything is uh, covered in that all the way from payments to, you know, connectivity to cloud analytics. The whole nine yards is there in, and we have embedded the water purifier in that. And now that platform is so good that we can actually think of building other product categories into service on that platform. So it's an interesting uh, build out over the last many years. Now it's even profitable. So that's uh, that business took us a little while to build, but it's a profitable business now. Okay. And it's uh, self-sustaining. I'm going to zoom in on how you did the, the transformation post-2017, but uh, quick uh, understanding of where were you at in 2017? What kind of revenue were you at 2017? About 120 odd crores, I would say. Okay. And uh, I, I wanted to ask you a, a couple of questions based on what you had uh, spoken about. Uh, do you think the reason why you got success uh, versus all the like the fifty other brands which were also attempting it was in-house manufacturing? Well, I mean, I think that played a part, but but I think this is a business. One of the reasons why we got success is because we stayed with it. So we were very persistent. We took 10 years to turn around, turn the company around and make a profit first time around, 10, 11 years actually. Uh, and we continued to stay committed to the build out all through that long journey, right? We have two, two private equity investors along the way. One of them has exited. The other one is still there. Uh, we continued to be committed to the venture all the way. Uh, and we have never allowed ourselves to get diluted after the first two rounds. So we have uh, made sure that we have uh, actually accrued more, whatever we could find, whoever was selling, we have bought. Uh, and we have built our, uh, we have demonstrated, we have put our money where our mouth is because we believe that something like this, you know, gets takes a long time to build. It's payback and durables businesses is a back-ended affair. It doesn't happen in the front end. Uh, and the longer the build-out period, the higher the hurdle, and therefore the longer the terminal value of the business, the higher the terminal value of the business, because because it's that much harder for someone else to come and build it. 
uh, and it just keeps getting harder as you progress over time right so fascinating um so what you're saying is uh, in the consumer durable space you it needs a lot of upfront investment and it also needs a lot of time to learn how to create a good quality product that's why the payback is backloaded yeah i mean it takes time to win consumer confidence it takes time to build scale you have to develop a brand you have to innovate on the product consistently you have to manage the service operations which are hard to manage on a small scale in terms of effectiveness so there are plenty of odds against a new entrant right uh, now the question is if you take this approach that i am going to enter a category or a bunch of categories uh, just because i have some route to market access uh, which is what most of these other brands had in plenty much better than we had uh in terms of the brand recognition in terms of the distribution in terms of even money in to invest uh, but the question is do we have the commitment to go all in into a category and create real reason to win uh innovating in product business model and and uh you know capital allocation all three whether you can actually do it for long enough to succeed that's the question and i mean i wouldn't be i wouldn't be you know nonchalant on this but along the years over 11 years many times we felt are we in the right space or are do we have it in us to keep supporting it uh, but then of course uh, you know pride pride takes over <laughs> for entrepreneurs uh, they they and conviction both uh, and you know you keep doing what otherwise looks stupid to do Okay, amazing. Uh, how much did you dilute to private equity? So we start at at uh, at peak. We had uh, about twenty odd percent outside our ownership, ours and our uh, ESOP pool. Uh, I think we are right now at a right now we own most of it. So we have one wow. private equity investor left uh, who who you know will. exit whenever they get the right return and that is a good thing we are happy to have them want them to make a good return uh, but we we believe that we are building this for a much much longer period so the horizon with which we are building it is much much longer which is why we chose a difficult category which is relatively small but has a very high brand connectivity so if, because you drink water you don't really trust something that if you can trust the brand for water purification is easy to trust it for a lot of other things uh, yeah i mean I, i get that like it's difficult to win trust and i mean aquagard is a classic example it's spent decades building trust uh, though eureka uh, forbes has not been able to diversify much beyond aquagard right like yeah but that's different for live pure uh, and and we have actually pretty successfully managed to start green shoots in 3 4 different adjacent categories uh which is again around health wellness comfort uh and and we are we are seeing good response and good build out in all of those other categories uh and aquagard maybe there is there is something in the name actually it is just way too tightly associated with water one of the th- reasons why we never used anything related to water in lip pure when we were coining the brand 
was this that if you make it about water then then it's hard to get out of that category mm. right 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 okay uh, uh, let, let's talk about that uh, transformation journey uh, and i'm assuming that you became profitable last year you said it took you 10 years to become this profitable. this 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 year this year okay yeah. okay yes. so uh, how did that uh, transformation journey happen 2018 onwards and how did it make you profitable no so it didn't make us profitable to begin with we had to take actually higher losses for a few years uh, about i think we took higher losses for 3 years then it started coming down last year and now it's turned the corner but why higher losses you higher were investing in because yeah software. you have to invest in building the new category new gtm channels and their stacks and other things so i think the three things we did there were uh, a we started with a deep relationship with flipkart to start with and then eventually last two years even with amazon we went deep we helped the partners build a ecosystem in the category build out of water purifiers we helped flipkart uh, for the platform itself so as a result of which we created a space for ourselves we created a specific product portfolio that we sold on these channels and therefore both of us got real velocity why did you have to create a different portfolio for flipkart Because as opposed to what their, your dealer their, network their, is their customers expectation of value proposition is different than what the customer who goes and looks for a touch and feel and wants a certain extra ben, you know set of package so so more layered services more layered features is what is the expectation in let's say a chroma outlet compared to let's say a customer buying it on uh, on flipkart so i mean a water purifier is a i mean it's a it's not a very complex product right like how, how did you differentiate between what your dealer was selling and what you were selling on flipkart no no so there so there is a lot of differentiation it can it it is it starts from the degree of fortification of the water post purification it 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 can go to hot and cold it can uh, come up with other can you know display and uh, interface ui features so so around that you can have a copper tank uh, to have a fortified water there are multiple ways you can do product slicing uh, based on segmentation and this is where you know the fact that we had over a million customers that we have installed our own product in their homes ourselves we got to know a lot of things that usually which you will not know if you were just selling the product and someone else was installing it right so, so what what were what were some of those things that you learned through self-installation the nuances about like for example in south of india copper is a big deal because there is a history of people believing that if you drink water out of a copper vessel uh, it's good for your health so you right. you could design a water purifier with a copper tank which is fortified with copper Okay. then you know so all kinds of insights of this nature you could get out of dealing so consumers tell you a lot of things sometimes explicitly sometimes not so explicitly and if you are if you are in direct touch with consumers this is what d2c today is a fashionable term but at the end of the day d2c really means that you are in connect with your customer whether you go digitally or otherwise uh, if you know what your customer wants and is who he is then you can actually take those insights into the product journey right 
Right. In a way, you're like the original D2C founder, right? Because Luminous also was installing on its own. So irrespective Correct. of who was selling, so, the Correct. service and the installation was done by Luminous itself. Correct. And the same thing has continued here at LibPure. Yeah, I mean, of course, the D2C founders of today are actually, I mean, they're much smarter. They have much more data about their consumers than we have. But, you know, 80-90% of the insights you can get actually with very little data. Uh, if you are in touch and if you are listening. Uh, and if you can even use that 90% effectively, you can still create a lot of differentiation. Right, right, right. Um, so your uh, Flipkart range was essentially more value for money. Uh, it was it was on target for what the customer wanted. It was actually not an inferior spec. It was actually a good spec made available without the frills. Okay. And okay. Flipkart did their job of taking it to uh, making it known. And therefore, what we would have otherwise had to spend in terms of reach, we both of us decided to give it away to the customer. And as a result of which, that category got built on Flipkart. And then, okay. of course, we did everything else. And, and today we are, uh, you know, they have other brands selling there. We are also a, a, a fairly sizable part of their portfolio even now. And then in last two years, the same has happened on Amazon as well. It took us a little while, but we are getting there on Amazon. So, so it's now Flipkart, Amazon, other digital platforms uh, bringing in about 35 odd percent. We have our own D2C operation directly from our own website, a full stack of that. So we're fully built out as a D2C platform or rather as an omni-channel platform where a customer can can pretty much have a seamless, there's work to do, but a lot has been done uh, in terms of uh, how it is. So right now, 35% of our revenue is offline, available through all channels. 35% of our revenue comes from digital channels and the rest of the 30% is product as a service uh, where we have uh, a uh, our own D2C site where uh, we offer you a subscription of water purification in your own place. So you pay 1500 rupees or 4500 rupees depending on whichever plan you choose. It's a deposit, refundable deposit uh that's all you have to pay uh, and uh, somebody will come to your place uh, install a water purifier which is cloud connected uh, we will allow you to draw water out of that water purifier in your own house you don't have to buy jars uh, and if you keep paying every month the service will continue if you don't pay it will get disconnected like a telephone or an electricity bill and and you keep paying every month and you keep using the water purification it's priced in a way that it is in it is absolutely a no brainer so you know a typical water purifier of aquaguard if you buy today you end up paying about 5500 a year or 5000 a year in amc right after the warranty is over and for 550 rupees a month, you can actually, you don't need to buy a water purifier. You will get purified water through a machine installed in your house, which you can kick me out of your house the day you don't like me. So, uh, and so, this is like unlimited usage. There's no like 
550 yeah, rupees for yeah. up to you know, so there are there are lower plans for for limited usage but 550 rupees is for unlimited use. okay 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 phenomenal uh, what uh, do you see uh, default here uh, and by default it could be that someone so now it is a five or... now it's a five year old operation we have you know we have gone through about 250000 200000 customers already uh, we do have some default but it's nothing to nothing to be scared single of digit or worried percentage well below well very low single digits okay which is extremely good i mean essentially like the best npa rate a bank can have is low single digits which is similar right. to what so you it have. is lower than an nbfc npa rates yeah. <laughs> 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 so this uh, do you finance it further or this sits in your books the, uh, no, mean... so, the so the assets are we have small part of the assets are on uh, operating lease but a large part of the assets are on our books and uh, what does that mean sorry can you break it down when you say small so part you can of either the buy an asset and get it financed and it becomes an asset on your book and you take amortization on your own books that's a EMI or, like someone buying on EMI uh no slightly different so an asset is owned irrespective of who's financed by somebody right, right. so if if i buy a asset in my company so the asset is owned by the company hmm. now right. it may be financed by a bank or it may be financed by an nbfc or whoever else has given me a loan that's a term loan against the finance of the asset but the asset still belongs to the company and it's it is amortized by the company year after year okay uh, so we have uh, let's say 85% of the assets under this subscription business are on our own books 15% of the assets are in operating lease so operating lease is given by financing companies that run operating lease business people like tata capital and others who buy the assets on their books and provide the asset to our company at a monthly operating lease and we use that asset to run our business customer pays to livepure livepure pays to data capital whatever it has to pay but the whole operation of the business still remains with livepure okay uh, why why do you do this uh, because i mean it's such a small percentage you said 10 15% is operating lease no, why do so this over thing? over time we would like to increase the operating lease percentage because there is no point in keeping the assets on a, on your own books if there are people whose job it is to keep the asset on their books will do it right you're uh, blocking your working capital uh, not working capital we are actually getting it financed it's a difference is between an asset being on your book versus it's not being on your book so as we grow much larger if you have millions of customers you don't want to keep on increasing your capex you want to convert capex into opex just like what you are doing for the customer you are doing the for the customer you are converting capex into opex so it is only logical that over a period of time you will convert your capex into opex and uh, but it needs confidence building people have to see outcomes metrics as now we have those metrics in place and a lot of more lot of confidence is building up uh, we are getting uh, those kind of people coming on board and taking on those assets on operating lease okay got it so right now it's a small percentage because it's like a pilot uh, and eventually 
all further purchases you would want a bulk of it or all of it to be yeah, with uh, time it will grow i mean as we move and also it depends on how much free cash flow you have got in the company if you if you have enough capital getting generated in the company you and you don't have productive use for it instead of it going out you will you will put it back into the business and generate a better return for your shareholders right 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 okay okay um a couple of questions about the distribution uh, 35% of your uh, business is digital sales uh, what percentage of that is your own website oh not not a whole lot i would say 5 out of 35 okay okay and does the economics work out better when it's your own website no Or, no way no because way. customer is, acquisition cost is very cost high cost is always going to be higher that is an experiential story so you do it on your own website because you want to know more about your customer and you want to prove something well before it is scaled up on some other larger platform okay like launching a new model or uh, yeah, getting direct feedback of anything right. okay and figuring out whether it is working or not working you do it yourself and then you transfer it on to the larger platforms okay okay got it got it and uh, your physical sales is again 35% uh, what is the split here between like modern format uh, chain stores so i would and... I, i would say um, modern format chain stores put together about 7-8% percent uh, through more institutional retail channels like uh, army canteens this that and all of that uh, all kinds of institutional retail formats and the rest 25 22 23% general trade okay okay so general still dominance okay and so that has is... to be because they are that's a much larger access to consumers mm. okay 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 got it interesting okay uh, you said that uh, you've done work in allied product categories uh, can you talk about that what, what all products have so, you launched so you said now, health wellness comfort yeah so now now lipper has air vertical where we have uh, air coolers already in place we have also sold some 25000 smart energy efficient air conditioners largely through flipkart platform which is now we are getting seeded well we are working on it to further refine our um, you know portfolio so these two that's relatively a small volume for us but it's something which is in the is, i mean it's it's a large enough pilot though uh where we have demonstrated a very unique product proposition then this there is a sleep category that we have got so lipper has a mattress category which is only on amazon and flipkart uh, we don't do it in uh, other channels yet which is also right now growing from 2 crores a year 2 years back to about 4 5 crores a month uh, as we talk uh, building up people have accepted that when we and that happens without a single dime in investment in marketing for the category on the platforms so that's a natural affinity consumers are having for that brand with the with the category so so we do all those tests on the platforms as we go around you know so that's the beauty of digital platforms you can do a lot of stuff with you know uh, without really going mass Uh, okay. then we have uh, we have uh, we are working on introducing uh, energy efficient fans in the air category 
and air purifiers. Uh, so these are all uh, very very big markets. Each of these, right? Like fans, air conditioners, uh, mattresses. These like these are all massive categories. Um, Correct. Are you doing too much at the same time? Uh, no, I mean, and because I you've been very focused so far. I agree. Uh, I agree. Uh, no, I mean we've been focused till uh, till twenty twenty before COVID. and then we started moving into these categories in, in actually we had started moving into them in 2019 but then covid happened and some of these things got a little shelved uh you know uh, it was always intended to be a brand that encircles health wellness and comfort uh now the question is are we biting off too much uh, i mean i worried about it for first 8 9 years of my existence as lipure and didn't didn't bite anything except for getting ready uh, in terms of tech and all that uh, but eventually we thought we found this whole digital gtm a very nice way of uh, of figuring out what consumers think we can think in our wisdom that consumers don't want us to be outside of this but consumers in their wisdom can think no this is the rightful place for you to be and actually we were motivated by flipkart a lot because their testing of their consumer traffic was telling us that you should be in a b c d categories uh, and and then we did small trials in each of those categories and we are finding that not all but most of them <coughs> the consumers are receiving it quite well uh How, how did flipkart uh, arrive at this conclusion that lipure as a brand should exist in mattress category for example so i honestly don't know exactly how they arrived at that conclusion uh, but maybe there uh, is some search traffic like people are searching no, no, for lipure they do they do yeah so they have mattress. a lot of they have their own mechanisms of figuring out what the consumers are looking at why they tell the brands i can tell you because they want each of their critical or strategic relationships to expand so right. if if with livepure they expand uh, into five other categories and succeed their portfolio with us gets bigger our commitment to them gets bigger their commitment to us us gets bigger so that that rationale is well understood uh, but how they exactly find this out honestly i don't know the answer this is fascinating um, okay so Are you manufacturing all of these in-house uh, mattresses? No, fans, no, ACs? no, no. We we are not manufacturing and fans. We are because that you have to manufacture internally. Why is that? Uh, yeah, because the the level of innovation cycle in terms of creating electronics and uh, motor design improvements is very sharp and very quick, and that you can't do unless. unless you have control over it and and that we do want and we want to have that control and we are building that so is everything from product development technology stack everything is ours mm. uh mattress we do finishing uh, we don't we do the final finish so the final piece of mattress manufacturing happens internally Uh, but we don't do foam and various other things the raw materials that are required to go into a mattress A lot of people do the larger offline mattress brands do that. We don't do that. We buy those foams out of the people that make it for us. So it is a hybrid model for mattress. 
for coolers and air conditioners for air conditioners we make the controllers which is where our ip is uh, in terms of uh, cloud managed air conditioner for energy efficiency so my air conditioner can give you a noticeable a non noticeable difference in temperature adjustment which will not let you feel comfort difference but can save you up to 15 20% of your energy bill so that's my value proposition okay and uh, and i'm able to do that uh, because i have algorithms built in a way that i can understand how you are reacting to the story when you use the remote for a few first 10 15 days and and then i am able to really do it in a way that you don't feel the difference but i am able to optimize the energy consumption amazing amazing so okay. the controller and the hardware we do ourselves uh, the ac we get manufactured from the odms that do for everyone so it really depends i mean what where there is value added and innovation control required we do it ourselves and whatever somebody else can do better than us we will do it with them very interesting uh, so in the uh, you said it's a cloud connected air conditioner like uh, yeah. the users could get a stream of data on a mobile app also like this is the temperature yes, and so yes, on yes 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 they could okay 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 and so so there's like a sim enabled device which is transferring data real time no it's wifi so ac is usually in home so you oh, are okay. you can connect to you wifi right you don't right. need a sim for ac and, and uh, it's like uh, you can activate it through your smart speaker like a siri or yes, alexa yes you can or... you can definitely activate it with alexa or whatever you want yeah okay okay amazing uh, is this a big category of uh, smart acs so it will become a big category right now about 2% of the air conditioning market in consumer is in this category of smart but i think over next 4 5 years this will completely be a different story altogether what is the price differential between a non smart and a smart ac so right now the gap is in the 5 6000 rupees range uh, but i think it can it can come down right like what happened with tvs uh, it used to be a big gap until now there is yeah you don't get non smart tvs anymore uh, yeah i think you so will come down very it. rapidly it can come down right 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 okay okay amazing uh, and uh, the fan is also like cloud connected uh, so the fan is uh, connected through ble uh, bluetooth ble okay. Blu- bluetooth okay. Uh, okay. so it connects through your phone Yes, it can connect to the cloud, uh, and we do have a cloud res- place to receive the fan data. But most people don't quite need to connect the fan to the cloud. Uh, the fan primary requirement is energy efficiency and smart control. I think those two. We are seeing that people are not really for a fan. An app is not really that much. F- in play because really speaking consumers don't want to use apps anymore i mean that's uh, that's not you, where you just want headed. like alexa to operate it that, that's yeah like you you basic. just want things to work that's it right. I mean, you want you want to live your life not play with apps that's <laughs> right 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 okay and so in fans you would be competing with like say an atomberg which also makes these smart fans yeah, yeah. so atomberg and everyone else uh, mm. it's a it's a crowded category there are plenty of players right so differentiation is the name of the game what you deliver will make a difference to what you are able to do 
and it's a it's a tough build out but also it's a large category and if you are able to create a differentiation then there is a lot of longevity to businesses like that and, and how will you create a differentiation in fans who oh, it will most definitely come from energy efficiency and reliability of controls and we come from power electronics as a background so our ability to manage power electronics well and make it reliable is quite good and that is what fan companies find it super hard to do because that's not their core strength okay right 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 there you more used to the mechanical design right. i'm guessing you would be using like a pldc motor or no, something no we are only doing mainly pldc fans and uh, but it's more in the controller and the electrical motor design that we have a capability which is very high and this is not typical of fan manufacturers because they come from more the induction motor background so they are trying to do that Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah, okay. Uh, for BLDC, I guess your controller design is a lot more important, right? For BLDC yes, fans it to is. be. It Why is. is that? Because you can't run a BLDC motor without a an effective controller. It requires if you are giving it an AC supply, and it's a DC motor. It has to run through the controller. Without that, it won't work. And therefore, okay. the controller is integral to a BLDC fan. You have to have. It. Okay, 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 got it. And uh, air coolers, uh, do you see this as a big category? Because air coolers we to do. me seems like a transitional product, right? I mean, no, not really. You... We find a lot of opportunity in that. It's actually a fairly fast-growing category. The problem in that business is, you know, it's a large logistic bulk, and therefore it is not given to e-commerce as a distribution channel. very easily uh, although e-commerce people are doing it but uh, but you know it's a very volume weighted category so therefore very difficult for logistics to work in that category and the rest of it is pure distribution and therefore there is a certain market access issue uh, we are trying to differentiate there as well both by design and some features so one of our core features is uh, each of these coolers come with a smart humidity control so we are able to actually manage the motor in a way that and the pump in a way that it op- somewhat improves the humidity inside the room so which is basically a problem with it. it's not full solution but it is significantly better experience than without it so that's the main differentiation uh, you, you have a sensor to tell you what is the humidity yes yes okay the cooler has a sensor okay yes okay Okay. Okay. And uh, this is uh, again. I'm assuming like more of a tier two product than a tier one product. Like- Not really. It sells everywhere. Coolers have a market uh, more or less everywhere, and and people tend to use it largely because of the energy consumption or repetitive recurring cost of an air conditioner. So I, a lot of people who have ACs at home also have coolers and tend to use coolers whenever. the humidity permits coolers to be used with equal comfort uh then coolers get used and when it is too humid outside for a cooler to be effective that's when air conditioner gets used ah okay 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 got it, got it. cost of running of a cooler is significantly right. lower so right therefore a market exists for it. okay uh, and why mattresses i mean there is no tech in mattresses right like the, all the, these other the, products have tech uh, I can't disclose it right now, but we are working on some serious tech on mattresses. Uh, by the time we release, uh, you might 
be okay no, to it's it's <laughs> it's some distance it's some distance away akshay so i don't want to talk about it right now but it is around the area of smart okay like a sleep sensor which can tell you how well you slept i i mean it'll, it'll have some stuff which will help people sleep better Oh, okay okay so uh, your turnover of 600 crores how much of it is pure uh, water purifier so water link turnover out of 600 crores will be around 380 crores and the rest of it will be from the other areas uh, actually 400 and, no sorry 420 crores the rest of it will be the rest about 180 crores out of the other 180 crores for these new categories uh, the new ventures yes that's amazing uh, so, so each of these is like a significant uh, yeah they're all they're part. they're all getting started into becoming uh, revenue streams and uh, they've already reached some critical mass yes absolutely absolutely the, the turnover is saying that uh, you know what do you see live pure as let's say 5 years down the line what kind of top line would you be doing or let's say 6 years you, every 6 years you are you know, you have the six-year milestone. So, what's the next six-year milestone <laughs> going to look like? I think uh, I think we should be uh, at least the six-year milestone. I'm not sure about the revenue. I don't see it more like that. I see it more uh, more from a point of view of uh, brand love. Now, the next six years is a brand love story for me. So now we've got the foundation in place uh, for becoming a seriously loved consumer brand. So my next year, next six years journey is brand love journey. So we want to cement the love for the brand in consumers' mind over the next six years. That's what I would like my CEO to aim at. I mean, I don't run the business, uh, as you know, Akshay. I mean, we are, I'm much more at a slightly detached level at the board, yes. But uh, it is, it's led by a gentleman called Rakesh Kaul, who is the CEO of Lipier. Uh, and 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 the brief is clearly to build brand love, and of course in the process there will be growth. But I think I would reckon I would stick my neck out and say three to four times, anywhere between that from where we will end this year for the next six years. Okay, like a twenty five hundred CR kind or of more a, depends on I mean, where we land. But CR. doesn't matter. Actually, these kind of brands have a life which is in perpetuity, so. It, it you have to worry more about making sure that you do the right things than at what rate you are growing. Because see, the leverage on profitability for these brands is phenomenal because they are what high do, contribution. What does that mean, uh, leverage or profitability? So, so at scale, scale, ki jo operating leverage aati hai ek business ko, where there is a higher contribution margin, their scale has a very high operating leverage for businesses. So, so these kind of businesses that are hard to build have a higher contribution margin. And once you reach break-even in these kind of businesses, as you scale from there at whatever 30-40% growth, that has phenomenal, the, the p and grows much, much faster than the top line. Okay, phenomenal, amazing. Okay. Um, if you were an investor, uh, what would be your way of evaluating pitches which should come to you because you know you have i mean you have such a deep understanding of revenue contribution margin profitability uh, you know what uh, give me some examples of what kind of businesses you would have liked to invest in what kind of businesses you would not have invested in <laughs> so we run actually we have a 
uh, I don't know if you are aware of this, but we have a balance sheet investing vehicle called Incubate Capital Partners from where we do uh, invest in private businesses. And over the last five, six years, we have done about 17, 18 investments. Uh, and this is what, seed level, series A level, what level do you so we are a level agnostic. We can come in at seed level and we can also participate in series B up to series B. I don't think we do anything beyond. We have done one, which was series C, uh, but but we can come in at any level, uh, wherever it makes sense. And uh, we, I think very simply, there's a good business is the second filter. A good founder is the first filter. I think uh, you have to know, you know, no matter what business you run, it is going to go through trouble. Right? So, what will you do when it is hitting the rough waters and stays there for a long time, makes or breaks a business for an investor? Because when you are going to get out before that, that journey would have been traveled. So, how how tenacious the entrepreneurs are at that kind of a situation, what is their level of commitment, I think is a critical lever for us. We look at that and we have invested in, uh, you know, uh, in all kinds of uh, levels of companies uh, from absolute napkin paper level business plan to a big basket or an off business. Uh, you know, these are, this is the range of our investments. So we, we can be anywhere in the curve. And, and some of them have played out quite well. Some of them have not. Uh, but what we look for is first, first is, I mean, the biggest filter for us is who the, who is running the business and then what business is he running? I think that's, that's the order for us. How what do you, how do you judge, uh, what, do you have some, uh, like, like some sort of a screening process to judge about the quality of founders? It's not, it's not that formal, uh, but I think uh, I think you interact in person almost invariably and, uh, you know, the conversation reveals a lot of... You, you should know this. You do these conversations daily. So, you know, you can make out where where an entrepreneur comes from, right? I mean, what are the... Where, where does he anchor? Uh, when it comes to a situation to make decisions. So I think we mostly figure it out based on, you know, the the value system, the behaviors, the, the belief system more than even value system. Where do they come from? Uh, in general, at least for us, we would not invest in a company that is too quick, too fast in terms of expectations to break the norms and move forward somehow. I, that doesn't work for us. It can work for others, but it doesn't work for us. We don't feel comfortable in that with that kind of a founder. And it's not that they won't succeed. It's just that it's not. it doesn't work for us in terms of our understanding of uh, founders. So, yeah. That's the, that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's right. the but, biggest one for us. Yeah, because your personal learning has been it takes 10 years to make a business profitable. So you want someone who's patient enough. uh, You're right. And and, if you look at your own various podcasts that you would have done with various entrepreneurs, I think there are very, very few examples of great value being created in less than 10 years. True, 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 true. Uh, And do you have a sectoral 
mandate that you invest in these sectors? We don't have a mandate mandate, but uh, we try to stay in areas that we have some appreciation of uh, so that we can actually at least provide some degree of sounding board expertise to the founder uh, if we can. I mean, the late stage ones, the Series B, Series C, we don't have, we are much less bothered about sectoral uh, mandate because by that time, I think there are, there is a lot of ecosystem for the entrepreneur to have figured out things and and he can figure out, even if we don't understand the sector well, uh, there are others around him who can provide the support. Uh, It's then a business evaluation more and the founder's general evaluation. But other than that, we don't have a bias. But early stage, we will almost always stay within something that we understand. So like consumer products, be it consumer Consumer products, uh, energy transition, electric mobility. Those are the areas we understand well. Okay. Uh, So that's where we would stay. Uh, Give me a couple of examples of companies you invested in and why you invested in them. Yeah, okay. So we have uh, a company called uh, Mukunda Foods, uh, which is a company that was started by two entrepreneurs, which were supported by India Angels Network. Uh, We actually bought India Angels Network's entire stake and invested into the company about four or five years ago. Uh, these guys were doing a machine called dosamatic at that point in time to make automating dosa making for kitchens and they had some success and from there they have pivoted and turned themselves into a kitchen automation company for cloud kitchens uh, after we got in and now they're quite a significant player in that space Uh, they've had an investment round from zomato about uh, a year back, maybe a little over a year back, uh, where uh, where they Zomato invested in them uh, some time back. There's another one we have in supply chain finance uh, company, where which is an NBFC, where uh, we got a good management team and backed it up to start a supply chain finance company reason why we think it is something we know is because we have dealt with distribution and supply chain credit management for a very long period of time so we kind of understand that subject well so we partnered with these guys who were finance uh, professionals and risk professionals and then helped them build that they have an investment from deg uh, that followed uh, that is another example of early stage these are all both uh, both these companies are very, very early stage. In fact, the finance company was literally a napkin uh, and a team of three people. And from there it started. And uh, and even Mukunda Foods was very early stage at that stage. But now, of course, it's a sizable uh, business. Mm. Okay. Okay. Fascinating. Uh, can you share some lessons on how to build a high performance organization? You know, how do you structure it? And, you know, do you do like an SBU structure or do you do like a functional split up and how do you make sure that I'm not sure if I can I should be commenting on generic structuring because frankly speaking it depends on what business you are running and what are your challenges Uh, I don't know if that question can be really answered effectively but in general I mean one thing I can say for sure whatever you want to accomplish here and now and over the next three four five years 
that should be both kept in mind while designing an organization structure it's typically we, the mistake we make is we either go here and now or create something which is good for next 5 years but doesn't cater to here and now and as a result of which you end up having to dismantle one or the other which is where the which is where the energy is lost or momentum is lost Uh, what is like give me some examples of what the luminous org structure was like how and maybe it evolved when you made live pure uh, you, you know your own journey of experimenting with organization structures organization building okay so look uh, we at luminous was a very founder managed company okay so i was the founder and ceo of the company uh, i did experiment in bringing in an outside ceo uh, in 2008 a very fine gentleman called arun nagpal who is now a social entrepreneur and was very 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 accomplished uh, leader and he was the ceo from 2008 to 2010 i stepped down and became the cto uh, for the company and we stayed for two years in that space and he did a great job of uh, you know bringing processes and and some meaningful sustainable growth practices etc a lot of good stuff uh, that he did in those two years which i'm pretty sure i didn't have a clue on how to do because i did i had no exposure of that right so so kind of different uh, then in 2010 uh, he himself came back and uh, we talked and he said look the kind of growth that there is for this company you know the energy of a founder is probably going to do a better job on this than than uh, you know bringing it down to a 20 25% growth rate this still has steam ahead of it so so for about a year before the or less than a year actually uh, before the sale we did to schneider we and we were actually thinking of doing an ipo so it was in the context of doing an ipo that we had that call discussion and we we went back and i started to drive the company again so the difference in a founder style of leadership and that of a a ceo sometimes the ceo is more constrained on on how much risk to take even if it is a mental constraint uh self imposed mental constraint even if it is that it is there is a constraint because he is handling uh you know it's a fiduciary responsibility of a higher order for him because you know he's playing with someone else's assets uh, so to say right a founder is tend to have that natural advantage a of getting away with murder and b uh, you know b also of being able to put their own uh, own uh, assets on the block many times especially if they are very large shareholders which in which in our case was true we were 90% shareholders i mean we we were taking risk with entirely our own uh, assets uh, so yeah that's that's the nature of luminous management team but rest of the organization below that was very very well structured decently allocated to what needed to be done in fact to the tribute to that is that uh, that same organization ran luminous from 2011 till now so in fact even the cfo was the same uh so they didn't even change the cfo till he superannuated i think a little while ago a few months ago uh, that is how 
how uh, stable it was yeah, below it. it was like a functional structure like there was a sales head and a marketing head everything all well, the whole structure was in place no large company it was 1250 crores in revenue when we sold it so it was well set uh, proper structures and the structure was good enough for it to continue in a multinational ownership for the next 10 years so there was a good 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 structure uh, on the lift pure side what has been different or at the new businesses that we are building uh, the only difference is we are not we did not take a ceo's role from day one so we started building these companies uh, except for first year or so of running a company we brought in ceos put them in place put the structures in place and supported those ceos to build the business rather than uh, rather than uh, running it ourselves so these businesses are way more uh, you know independent of us than let's say aluminum structure was when we were running it so like the uh, ac business has a separate ceo who's no, running so that. the whole of liftpure has one ceo okay and then there is a structure below that uh, the whole of liftguard has one ceo the whole of our ev business has one ceo Uh, Livguard is for which product category? Livguard is for all of in you know batteries, energy transition, solar, power backup, motor controllers, and EV drivetrains. All of that. So you you have a B two B business also in Livguard? Yeah, yeah. So Livguard. No, this is Livguard. This is a separate company. Oh, Livguard is a standalone separate company. standalone separate company okay. that is uh, that is a. that's actually much larger than uh, lipure actually is about 37 3800 crore revenue wow uh, but why did we talk 20... about this <laughs> <laughs> that's okay <laughs> this is much more exciting the lipure story is you know it's not just revenue has its own color right i mean consumer businesses are have a very very long life if you do it right i mean these businesses have 50 100 year life and if you keep doing the right thing and keep evolving these are institutions that are built for a very very long time right uh, yeah yeah, yeah. obviously know. like hindustan unilever is like unilever example Correct. of that yeah. so yeah. so we shouldn't just compare revenue from complexity standpoint mm-hmm. i mean those are two different animals mm-hmm. the opportunity size is different in that and opportunity size is different here and so on so, so when you launch a new product category uh, you have like a entrepreneurial team doing it standalone like you appoint a person who's running it in an entrepreneurial manner like say when you launched mattresses yeah. or acs or yes mostly so we do a combination of many times we do a combination of internal entrepreneurs being put into the job as and many a times we also do acquires and acquisitions to plug talent gap uh, so we are very comfortable doing both Okay. Uh, you know, we are we have across these various three businesses. I would say we have at least we hired about seven or eight entrepreneurial teams into these companies. And this would be like a team building a product which is not scaling, and so they are open to getting active. various reasons. Various reasons they've got that there, and they all come for equity in some sense, and therefore they are essentially getting a larger platform to play with and resources. and a management support structure which is much more which allows them to succeed sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't work it has both pros and cons but uh, but in any case that talent you can't hire just like that i mean 
that right. attitude is very different than hiring a talent of normal kind right 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 uh, let's wait 5 minutes on livgard when did livgard start and what was the journey for livgard so livgard started in 2015 and started with uh, whatever we were permitted to do under our uh, agreements at luminous we obviously could not do anything that was uh, directly competing it was direct competing business we didn't want to do anything like that so we moved into those spaces that luminous was not doing like <clears throat> like like automotive uh, batteries and energy storage products for automotive applications was our starting point and then gradually this was as a manufacturing setup like you were manufacturing yes. yeah, energy yeah. storage full manufacturing setup we started a new factory uh, which was started in 2015 for making 50000 batteries a month which is relatively a very small number uh, compared to the big boys of the battery industry but that was our starting point then we built from there developed the product line got it right scaled today that company makes about 500000 batteries a month so 10x of what we started off in and this is significant scale Right. And these are like lithium ion batteries for EVs. No, no, no. These were lead acid batteries for so this is competing with the excites and the amarons of the world. Okay. Uh and uh, we started from there and then we moved into lithium ion batteries in 2019. We started designing and started the R&D setup in 2019 and started getting into production only in 21. 22 actually. Okay. And now it's scaling. uh in a meaningful way it also what's has, the split between lead acid and lithium ion oh as of now it's more lead acid but uh it's growing very rapidly on the lithium side as well uh, so we are looking at a 5x expansion over one year at right. this point in time so it's now at that stage of take off uh we've also got a a, a lot of r&d done in the last 3 4 years uh through acqui hires through acquisitions through organic talent pool development so there are about 200 people working on developing uh, fully integrated domestically designed developed and manufactured drive trains for evs two wheelers and three wheelers and so every, what's a what's a drive train for someone drive who's not train from the industry is, yeah so drive train means uh, from a socket to the wheel whatever comes in between for an electric vehicle so you have a charger you have a controller you have a motor battery bms uh, cloud analytics the whole nine yards of that optimized to make the vehicle work well okay okay and, so and who are your customers for this drive train all all two wheeler three wheeler manufacturers will be the customers are you currently selling it or it's uh, yeah like... we are selling a little bit is early stages of revenue but uh, two three customers but it is going to expand over time okay uh, so there's again a manufacturing like you manufacture the whole thing and supply it to a so, yeah so it's mainly a design and manufacturing play and here the sales is b2b and uh, you know service is also a little bit distributed so it's slightly different than a consumer business Right, 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 right. Okay. And then we have a third play in Livgard, which is essentially the solar and power backup business, which is somewhat overlapping with what happens at Luminous, uh, which is uh, a consumer business, again, and 
that is also a significant business which is about is there a consumer business in solar i thought solar was all institutional no 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 it's a large we we do only consumer business in solar and what is the consumer product in solar so you have a home which has a roof i can give you a net metered solar installation where you can feed power into the grid and uh, your energy bill will be that much reduced based on whatever you feed into the grid based on the tariff that is agreed so that or you could have a power backup with that you can store that energy and use it and not draw from the grid uh, so all of that and we have a sizable business we have a i think a almost like 500 crore business in consumer solar okay in livgard uh, how do you what's your go to market for the solar business distribution standard distribution uh through distributor dealer network we have about 25000 dealers now even at livgard uh all all states in the country everywhere it is distributed we cover i think about 60% 65% i would say of all tehsils in the country in terms of reach okay okay amazing and uh, is this uh, like is this a growing market how big is this market for solar Oh, yeah, solar side of the business is a very rapidly growing market in 2020 when we started we had 20 crore revenue in march 20 we are six uh, chasing 600 crore in 24 so in four years you can imagine how fast wow massive okay that's amazing and, and so in this solar unit is also housed your inverters unit like your yeah so it has all of that so there is inverter batteries there is solar panels there is other charge controllers etc etc hmm okay uh, i mean there are so many uh, products in livgard uh, what, what do you think will be the dominant product there or uh, i think see uh, livgard is an energy transition company so energy transition is a is a global phenomenon it is not our our phenomenon as livgard what what, are, what can you define energy transition so energy transition is you have we have been using using energy in some way and now as a as a as a globe we are transitioning to you know using and uh, and storing and uh, generating energy in a different way this is a transition more, more green uh, like more green now energy's usage is largely you know the generation is electric generation and usage is either uh, you know you are using it for consumption of devices of any kind it could be industrial consumer whatever or you are using it for mobility which is where the petroleum products were largely being used or they were also being used for generating power from a diesel genset or whatever right so this is where you were and now you are moving to uh, a different environment where solar or wind or green hydrogen or whatever else is is a lot more efficient and cost effective and clean so therefore you are going there so mobility is also trying to move from conventional mobility to electric mobility of some sort and uh, you know consumption is also generation is also moving towards greener sources of generation but the problem with greener sources is that you don't have uh, a possibility to generate on demand always so therefore you need to store therefore energy storage is part of the energy transition story and then the third leg for it is efficiency 
which means that you consume less for the same job, which is the best way of reducing the carbon footprint first. Okay, you know, so that is where anything, whether it is a BLDC fan or a LED light, or for that matter, energy efficiency in whatever you do, there are hundreds and hundreds of business models around energy efficiency that are emerging. So LiveGuard sits in that energy energy transition space. It it plays in these various pieces. In some parts, it's obviously not doing everything. But uh, I mean, these are all very very big. Like inverter is, as you are well aware, is it's by itself a big category. Do you want LiveGuard to be competing with the Luminous and be as big or? Uh, you know, and again, yeah, I mean, in you're already size, doing drive train and battery. You might as well start your own EV company. You know, we do have one, which uh, is not LiveGuard, <laughs> which, okay. which is a separate okay. business altogether. Yeah, but, so uh, th- th- this is like an onion. You know, each time I peel a layer away, I discover uh, there's more inside. <laughs> the, the, you know, when when you are a 50 year old second time entrepreneur, uh, there is one thing that happens. Yeah. Uh, which is that you know that you've got 15 years to build and scale whatever you want to do. And you know that it takes 10 years or more to scale something. Right. So you want to pack as much as you can in those in those, <laughs> uh, in those 10, 15 years. Yeah, okay. and maybe maybe I've gone a little overboard in that. So. Okay, t- tell me about the EV company now. No, no, no. So the EV company is still very early. Okay. It is, uh, it is uh, making, uh, it is making uh, mid, mid spec two wheelers and three wheelers, which have a bias for multi utility. So they can be used for both passenger use or personal use, as well as for, uh, you know, uh, you know, business use, so to say, B two B use, like logistics. Uh, like logistics, etc. So we have, uh, we are there. Our focus is to develop a full stack of a fit for purpose EV or EVs models, which are backed by an energy service capability behind it. Which means so because there the range considerations and other things come in, and therefore a full tech stack around energy service, whether it is swapping, whether it is fast charging, has to support that ecosystem. So we are doing that entire ecosystem and that's the piece in which we want to play. We don't want to play in the overall EV market because it's too wide. Uh, isn't it the same thing? Uh, every EV needs energy service. It's just that for some EVs, no, the does. customer will yeah, but see, for deal example, with different you, vendors. True. No, but see, the point is that let's say you use a, a two-wheeler for your own personal use. Typically, the drive driving distances for personal use are very small. Right. So, it's a known fact that an average Activa gets driven for only 600 kilometers in a month. In a month. That's all that it gets driven. Right, right. So if you take an 80-year-old Activa, if you took look at 180-year-old Activas, you will find they have done 50,000 kilometers on average. Mm. 50, because two-wheelers are not used for long commutes anyways. Right. So so a personal use case, if you have a battery which is even the small size battery, you don't really need to go out for a swapping application or you can come home and charge. You can go to office and charge. So there is really no need for an energy service business to back it. Energy service business is typically for higher utilization. And that is why we have 
and and you know making a product which is robust enough to handle multiple use which can drive 2500 3000 kilometers in a month and yet uh, survive 5 years of operation uh, that's a very different vehicle from what has to run for you know 600 kilometers in a month and survive 10 years uh, mm. so we want to focus on building something that is multi use and that's the niche in which we want to build our business and we are focused on doing that it's a business which now has a revenue in the range of 40 50 for 30 40 crores a month uh is not which, big yet uh, which models are out two wheeler three wheeler both are out no, one two wheeler and one three wheeler that's all that is out right now and the for what use case what i described personal logistics use and, and... and logistics as multi use Uh, like the two wheeler could be used by like say like zomato and these kind yeah, of yeah we do mile. have uh, we do have everybody from zip to evs as a customer including flipkart so those people are buying yeah last mile uh, deliveries basically last mile deliveries and also consumers are buying we have dealerships and people are using okay. it for personal vehicles but also for use to use cases okay but our like focus a... is around that okay 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 and the three wheeler is like Uh, competing with the, let's say this Alti Green and uh, these kind of three wheeler of... is actually that part of the three wheeler business is not yet out. The product is ready; it's in their home location right now. It will be out later. Uh, what we have out on the road today is uh, L three uh, level three electric three wheelers. That is L five what Alti Green does. What is the difference? What are these? Low, L's low, low, lower motor power and lower top speed. For okay. L three, higher motor power and higher top speed for L five. Level five is what Alti Green does. And what is L three used for? Oh, everything from e rickshaws to loaders to whatever. Okay, 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 okay. okay got it. And what is so? You want to uh, like, like this would be like a Gillette model where the money comes from the razors. Rather than the, <laughs> I'll be honest like with you. I still haven't figured out the business model fully, yeah. Uh, yeah. but I think it will have a layered-up uh, service income, which will, as we go, become much larger. Uh, initially, it will be hardware income, which will be larger, and over time, the service income will be larger. And you want to do battery swapping, or you want to set up fast chargers? We are we are, we are already doing uh, some battery swapping and some fun, some fast charging. In our view, is this that it will be a combination? Okay. 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 Because in uh, that space, so if you are doing a larger vehicle, fast charging could work better. But the kind of vehicles we are talking about, the battery is not large enough to permit very sophisticated fast fast charging. Okay. All right. 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 Okay. 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 Uh, and why not just do battery swapping? I think battery swapping would cater to. Hundred percent of the needs, right? No, uh, it would. No, I don't think that's how it will work, uh, because battery swapping is, uh, you know, can work only if the asset utilization is very, very high in the surplus asset. So today, most battery swapping operations that are in in operation today have not more than, I mean, not less than thirty percent of their asset stock. Sitting in, uh, in waiting to be used, so it is in, right. in a charge situation. With that, yeah, seventy percent is on the road, right? So as that with 
with no not 70-30 is it's 30 out of 130. So maybe a hundred is in use and 30 uh, okay. is is in the swap in the in waiting to be used. Okay. Uh, okay. So even with that, there is never a viable situation from a unit economics standpoint uh, with that utilization. But as the utilization improves, the viability can come. So you have to figure out use cases and clusters where that will happen. So that can happen only for certain type of applications. It cannot happen for all applications. Okay. So you're saying battery swapping is profitable only at scale? Of course, anything is profitable. Only yeah, at scale. yeah, obviously. <laughs> but, but battery swapping uh, is an asset-heavy business. It needs to be. It is all about utilization of that asset and life of that asset. But again, you could do operational lease there also, right? And yeah, but even that costs, right? So okay. when you take an operating lease, it is anyway comes to you at a fixed cost per month. Right. It is just the nature of the asset treatment. Otherwise, the cost is the same. But with battery swapping, you could bring down the cost of ownership. You could sell vehicles without that, the yes, battery. That is, that is correct. Battery as a can. subscription. That you can, but why would you sell it without a battery? There is a fame subsidy on uh, on the battery, so it doesn't oh, make sense to sell yeah, it yeah. without battery. So the subsidy is actually distorting the market, right? In, in a natural state, you would want in to do battery In a natural a state, it can work, but then we have to take make sure that there is enough work done on battery and vehicle mating properly so that you don't get into safety risks and other issues. Mm. But yeah, I mean, but it's an evolving market. It will become a main, mainstream market very soon. And Once what's this the, whole thing gets levelized. What's the brand name you're selling the EVs at? So this is called Lectrix, L-E-C-T-R-I-X. From this month onward, it started appearing in the league tables uh, of the Vahan portal because we've started uh, climbing up to about five, 600 vehicles a month getting finally used by consumers. It's growing up every month. And that brings us to the end of this conversation. I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to this show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in this show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the podium dot in. That's ad at t h e p o d i u m dot in.